0: Hello and welcome to Media Voices, everybody. This is the second episode of our Media Voices Big Noises series. I'm Chris Lycliffe. And I'm Peter Houston. And Peter, who are we hearing from this week?
1: Oh, this is a fun one. Next up on our Big Noises season is Amy Keen. Best-selling author, LinkedIn top voice, former head of innovation for publicists, and now CEO and creative director of Good Shout. That's a company she set up to help people communicate better. Amy, well, she's also a self-confessed weirdo. Uh, (laughs) My big question for Amy was, could media do with more weirdos? Yes. To stem that tide of painfully (laughs) undifferentiated products that Neil spoke about last week. Uh, so we spoke about all sorts. We spoke about fear, ego, jargon, how to spot a good weirdo <laughs> rather than someone that's just going to be an HR problem for you. And it was, it was a lot of fun, but actually there was a lot of sense in there. Actually quite a lot of science, to be honest. So it was good. Yeah. It was a good one.
0: Well, you were saying last week, you know, talking to Neil, you want this effectively to be a rallying cry this series to be a rallying cry for weirdos, effectively people who are going to be yeah. talking not the like corporate line, but actually thinks that they f- they feel very sort of like passionate about them in and of themselves.
1: I think people have people have points of view. People have lines that they need to stick to because they they were employed by, by companies have <laughs> got mortgages to say certain things yeah of course <laughs> they do we've all been there um, I think what's so nice about this is that we're talking to people that have big opinions they have opinions mm. about all sorts of different stuff and that's what we're trying to mix it up with Um, you know so Amy, Amy's talking about you know, what she means by weirdos particularly is people that don't necessarily fit that corporate line they don't yeah um, when they're sat in a meeting they don't necessarily just nod along and say yeah. Um, they, they've got different points of view and those different points of view are what takes an organisation forward. So I was, from that point of view, is it's not just about saying, oh, we need more interesting people in publishing. It's that um, there's a business benefit to this as well.
0: Well, there definitely is because one thing she points out is that there is a almost an opportunity cost for not saying things if you are afraid to be a widow or creative in the boardroom then there's like a 25 percent cost to yeah. just like not well, saying that kind of stuff one of the things that she also said which i really liked was this idea that she challenges this idea that oh fail fast and you know break things yeah. and all this kind of stuff because if you are somebody who's not necessarily right at the top if you're not at the top level of the boardroom and you try and fail fast and break things that could be your one chance so okay. she's effectively saying you know failure to some extent is the end for for yeah. some people so it takes an awful lot of bravery to f- try to fail or rather to experiment when you're further down that pegging order
1: definitely a, only people from a position of privilege can say that
0: and and we talked about that we talked about the idea of who
1: decides you're a weirdo you know <laughs> is it, we talked about education and people that what, you know you know there's so many people in the in the sort of leadership slot uh, in UK media and probably all over the world that have A privileged education went to private school or whatever it is, and they decide who's the weirdos mm. you know, because you're working class, because you're of a different gender or sexuality than they are, different race than they are, or you know, whatever it is. And that kind of random mm. again, coming back to privilege, that decision, oh, you're just a weirdo because you're different. Well, that's that's kind of wrong. Well, it's not just kind of wrong, it's very wrong, and that that mm. is calling that out. It's a really big deal. I, th- I think the big thing about this is it's so, it'd be so easy for this season to be just be a bitch fest. <laughs> you know, what's wrong with,
0: with media? Well that's gonna be that's next like, series. Yeah. many voices bitch fest.
1: What was that? So we used to make up that we did this little fictional podcast oh. that we were gonna start. Oh yeah, what
0: was that? <laughs> and it, it wasn't the one that was Stephen. You know, You're off. <laughs> <laughs> no the, this so seems is more that, productive yeah. than that <laughs> yeah I,
1: I hope i hope i hope everyone that we talked to has had some solutions as well as as raised some issues
0: mm. so yeah Nice. Well, we can get on to what you started the conversation with Amy uh, with in a bit. But beforehand, we want to take a moment to pay the bills and say thank you to Glide Publishing Platform for their support this episode and for the entire series. So if you don't know Glide yet, it's a content management system for publishers, which means you don't need to get involved with software and having to spend time and money reinventing and rehydrating on your CMS over and over and over and over and over again. (laughs) So services like Glide do all the content management for publishers of all sizes. So you can just get on with running titles and sites and being the success you deserve to be. There's no need to get roped into building any of that backend tech. You can just use their cloud services and away you go. So if you want to know more, you can go and have a look at GPP.io. Give Glide a check, and thanks again to them for the support for this episode and for the entire series. Yeah, huge thanks. But Peter, what did you begin by asking Amy about?
1: <laughs> I, I I didn't. I don't think I asked this. I didn't think I'd <laughs> asked this the way it came across, but I basically started by asking Amy what she'd done. Um, and her answer was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs>
2: What have I done is such a big question. <laughs> what have you done? I prefer it if it was said in that way. What the fuck have, am I allowed to swear, by the way?
1: You're absolutely allowed
2: to swear. What the fuck swear. have you done? I consider myself to be a moth in the sense that a moth is really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but also they can't sit still. And they're always attracted to light and excitement and whatever's glowing in the world. And I I like to take a moth approach to my career. So right now I'm CEO and creative director of a company that I founded called Good Shout that helps people communicate better. And by people, I mean anyone who isn't your archetypal, extroverted, overconfident, hyper-masculine person that the professional world seems to celebrate. But also I do a bunch of creative stuff around that. For example, I've just, well, I just finished a sold-out play in London that I wrote and produced and starred in called Group, which is about life coaches who I despise. So yeah, I'm doing a lot of stuff. I don't know what my next creative project is, but there's gonna be one coming along soon, I'd imagine.
1: Tell me about a book if your first book. <laughs> like, we cannot have this this conversation without talking about it.
2: <laughs> so, um, for anyone unaware um in the audience, my first book was called The Little Girl Who Gave Zero Fucks. And I'll be totally transparent transparent. I wrote it at the tail end of a breakdown. I was living in Singapore, you know, the expat life. I'm doing that in inverted commas. It was the most shallow and stressful time of my life. I was there for three years. And I wrote the book as a form of self-help, i.e. I wrote it to help me care less about what people thought and how shit the world was. So I wrote The Little Girl Who Gave Zero Fucks. It's kind of a product. So it's a it's a feminist Um, illustrated book of verse designed primarily for women but I know that men like it too designed to help them worry less and remember that even if you stop worrying nothing changes so giving fucks is probably the most futile pursuit that you could ever enjoy in your life it's a bestseller it's, um, and also the thing is I took it to so many agents and every single one of them and female agents, cause I thought, you know, that's a appro- you know, that's appropriate. They, they, they should buy into this, you know, a book telling women to worry less. Every single one of those agents told me that it wouldn't sell, that it wouldn't resonate with a mainstream audience. So I had to go via a publisher, publisher called Unbound who helped you crowdfund the upfront costs. Oh. And, um, and it became a bestseller. I think I've sold God, fifteen, twenty thousand. I don't know anymore because wow. it's been out for a couple of years. No, yeah. But it is my pride and joy. I'm so proud of that.
1: Yeah, I, I bought it. Did for my- you? I did. Yeah, a couple of years.
2: Did ago. she like it? Did she swear um, at you now? Okay.
1: <laughs> Well, she always swore at me. My Instagram is full of pictures of my daughter giving me the finger in various different locations. So, yeah. I love her. It was perfect in that sense. Um, Okay, so bring this to media. A conversation I had last week, actually, uh, with Neil Thackeray, He said, "There's no differentiation in modern media, and that's one of the problems that we have." And he singled out Private Eye as one of the few examples of someone that just, well, that gives zero fucks, that does what they want.
2: Um,
1: Does that resonate with you? You know, not just media but brands in general.
2: Wholeheartedly. So I should also know. I've I've worked in media and advertising for twenty years, almost twenty years, and worked in. I've worked at the biggest agencies. So Havas, the Global Head of Innovation for Publicis. Um, I was the Head of Strategy in Asia for Mindshare. So I've worked for really big agencies, worked on brands like Nando's, Domino's, Jean-Paul Gaultier, like some really good ones. I helped launch One Direction's first album. So I've had quite a lot of quite eclectic oh, wow.
1: So it's your fault. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I never got to fucking meet them <laughs> um, yeah. anyway. Uh, So I've had some fun over the years. Obviously, the brands that I've worked on, Nando's, for example, I worked on Nando's for six years, the most fun you can have with a brand. However, I think as the the, the media world as it is now has lost its identity and it's painful to watch. It's cringeworthy. No one wants to be different. We are run by... Formulas and the tried and tested, and the problem is that everybody wants to fit in. the The, ad, the media industry is so familial and so small and tight knit mm. that all we want is each other's approval. So, being different, being odd, being unusual, being genuinely creative has taken a back seat. And oh my God, I hate it. I hate it.
1: Just, just think that about fear you know is it fear of failure not delivering on shareholder value or whatever <laughs> or i don't know fear of being cancelled for doing something that's out there what where do you think that comes i think
2: from? you're absolutely right it's two primary things fear absolutely to your point fear of being laid into by the rest of the advertising community fear of having a massive public failure, but also insecurity. I think our industry, I mean, I think the only industry that's more ego-driven is politics, advertising and media. You know, advertising and media, there was a survey conducted and apparently advertising and media is the most stressful industry. People have the most breakdowns, the most serious stress conditions, like clinical stress. It's because we take ourselves so seriously, but also we're incredibly insecure. And when you're insecure, that's when you adopt various different tactics to fit in socially. And so that's why you see everyone just doing the same thing for the same types of kudos from their peers, because we're too insecure to stand out. People talk about bravery Mm -hmm. in our industry, but I haven't seen any in the last five years.
1: Mm. Why do you think media people are insecure? That's a weird one.
2: Um, because I think, I reckon, you know, working in the industry for 20 years, I mean, I'm guessing you've worked in the industry for a while as well. I saw that, I saw that yes. the tipping point.
1: <laughs> no, that wasn't, that
2: really, uh, I'm guessing you've been around for a while. No, that wasn't. <laughs> you, before this podcast started, you told me about your, your journey. And so that's why. Um, I saw the tipping point about 10 years ago when the industry started to become flooded with really average people who were more concerned with sales and digital. Um, And when you're average, you're also incredibly insecure. There's nothing more dangerous. I always say, and please don't be offended. You won't be because you're not average. But there's nothing more dangerous than an average insecure man because because that you know you develop bravado you develop a you know an act to enable you to survive in social situations yeah. when you're average. Um, so I think the insecurity comes from a lot of people who aren't very good and there's um, and you'll notice there's also something that I'm obsessed with that I talk about a lot about in my job in good shout which is about people communicating better the use of jargon in media and advertising. And obviously, we all, we've all seen uh, trade press talking about unleashing the power of data and real time agile solutions. And from one month to the next, we're either talking about immersive virtual worlds or metaverse strategies. And it's all just jargon, meaningless jargon. But there's a load of research conducted into how jargon is actually a sign of insecurity. So the more jargon you use, apparently, the more insecure you are. And there was a research, there was a piece of research conducted, I think by, I'm going to say the. United University of Washington, but no one is going to fact check me on this. Um, They audited 64,000 dissertations from different academic institutions, and they found a correlation between um, the lower the status of the institution, the higher the likelihood of the author of the dissertation to use industry jargon. It's a comfort blanket. Uh It's used by people that aren't good enough. And unfortunately, we have a lot of people that aren't good enough.
1: Wow. Well, okay. So there's a starting point. <laughs> pew, pew, uh, pew. <laughs> well, you know, we obviously from on the publishing side, uh, <laughs> publishers are having a very hard yeah. time. A big part of that is associated with digital. Um, what you're talking about there is the rise of, you know, jargon is rife in digital media. Uh, you know, Neil went off last week about the idea that content is king. He says that's absolute bollocks. Um, and, it, and it's even more bollocks in publishers that are seriously cutting their content creation budgets on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Um, so you, you're coming at it from a different point of view. What you're talking about is this, this the, a, a mediocrity in the areas of creativity. And ideas, and 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 moving, things, you know, innovation. How do we change that one? How do you how do you get better? How do organisations get better, or maybe how do individuals? Well, that's. Get better.
2: I mean, how do individuals get better? Individuals get better is the treat? Is that's the hardest part, because I think, you know, lots of people just want an easy life. Social media means that it's incredibly easy to be mediocre if you have a if you have a way with words um but I think well there's 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 two things first of all I think we need to celebrate difference more we need to celebrate the eccentric weird occasionally incorrect but at least they're trying people um but also we need to I can't remember what my second one was Oh, we need to invest in learning. We need to invest in learning and personal development. And I see this a lot in my job because I work in L&D now. Companies aren't investing in their people's personal development enough, enabling them to find themselves and improve themselves and be experiments. That's the strap line of my company. Good shout. We are all experiments. You have to give your people space to grow and fuck up and find themselves. Otherwise, you'll just have this like homogenous lump of people working in your, in your organization who just want to fit in and survive. Um, that happens a lot in organizations.
1: These, these guys, the guy, again, one of the things that Neil talked about was this failure of leadership. Yeah. And um, part of that is the idea of being an experiment or allowing any experiments is, is awful in, in that kind of corporate environment. How'd you get past that?
2: I think the, um, you know, that trope, the cliche about um, celebrating failure. I think that phrase is ridiculous. Mm. I think actually only a few of us are afforded the luxury of being able to fail and then try again. It's not. It's absolute bullshit, actually. And and so much failure is talked about in terms, you know, from a place of survivorship bias. A lot of people fail when their lives are ruined, you know. So I don't think I think we should lose these like grandiose cliches. But actually to celebrate Or to be okay with small mistakes that people make. To have a culture of allowing people to make mistakes and talk about them openly and talk about what they learned from those mistakes is really, really important. I know a company, they're called Amazing If, and they're just, they're my beacon. Amazing If, they talk about um, careers and workplace culture, and they're brilliant. And internally, their team, every single week, they have to have a meeting where they talk about a mistake they made that week. (laughs) <laughs> and they talk about it and they're really honest about how they fucked up. And then other people say, oh, well, maybe you could have done this. And it's lovely. They actually love the fact that they talk about their mistakes. And in reality, everyone makes mistakes all of the time at work. We just don't talk about it. We lie about it. But if you can have that culture of o- openness, my God, it's a game changer.
1: So the opposite of that is scapegoating, yeah. right? It's that scapegoat culture. That that's something that in that sense just just saying get rid of that yeah, scapegoat culture. Yeah. Right?
2: The worst places that I've seen scapegoat culture, scapegoat culture, are client side. Agencies are hard to work in, they're stressful. You work really long hours and you know the bullying is rife and it's the partying is terrible and you know they have some bad stuff about them, agencies, but clients can be toxic. The politics, the the blame, the blame culture within them. I, I've only ever seen it terrible at client side.
1: So you've talked in the past about this weird hypothesis yes. that you have. <clears throat> What what's that? What's what's your weird type of So opinion?
2: this comes from the fact that I've my entire life I've been called weird to my face by people. Not just weird, odd, peculiar, strange and First of all, that's really mean. <laughs> like I would never have the audacity to nice. call someone a name to their face. That <laughs> basically others them. I used to hate it. I used to hate being called weird because it's the hardest thing to change, isn't it? Yourself is the hardest thing you change you, you hardest thing to change when you don't quite know what it is that's weird. So For years, I really, really hated it. It used to make me cry. And then a few years ago, I decided to own it and own my eccentricity and own my weirdness. And that's when I started studying weirdness. And my hypothesis is that if we all allow ourselves to be the weird that we naturally are, we'll not only be more creative, very important, more original, we'll also be happier, and i don't want to be cheesy but i feel like i'm living proof of that i you know a few years ago i decided to own the fact that i'm a bit fucking strange and i'm really happy now also when you're weird you can get away with a lot (laughs) i'm not talking about dark stuff
1: no i've gonna i was going to say i've got to ask how does that weirdness manifest itself (laughs) G- give me some examples
2: how does the weirdest mani- manifest itself um the the, the the stuff that I right. so I um I commissioned I'm obsessed with raccoons and I commissioned. <laughs> right. I commissioned a series of different artists to draw a picture of me, to create a picture of me. I'm looking at it now. There's one on my wall in a purple cape holding a BAFTA surrounded by raccoons. Just because honestly, I just wanted a few pictures of me doing that. I commissioned these. I think it was three artists I okay, and they, both, um, they were all really different. I commissioned those. And because I am so weird, no one thought that it was strange that I did that. <laughs> Everyone was like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. My company has a jingle. My learning and development company has a jingle. And, you know, you might think that's a bit weird. It goes, ah, good shout. We're on experiments. Good shout. Um <laughs> Everyone's like, yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. So, other than being entertaining, how does that help? You know, how do if, if a company has more, for want of a better word, weirdos, yeah. how does that help? How does that make a
2: Scientifically, difference? Scientifically, psychologically, it makes a massive difference. So, there's a woman, there's a professor at Harvard called Shelley Carson who studies weirdness. What an amazing job. I want, I want to be her one day. (laughs) Academically, she studies weirdness. And she says that weird people have something called low latent inhibitions, which means that they have no filter. They see the world with totally open eyes and open minds, and they can draw random associations between stimulus. They there's, there's no filter to their lives or what they'll allow to go into their brain. And, uh, what she conducted some research in two thousand and three, I think, and she found that people with low latent inhibitions are seven to, seven times more likely to be creative. <clears throat> we go through life with filters. Oh, I shouldn't say this. I shouldn't say that. And I'm not talking about um, isms. I'm not talking about not being racist or sexist or like really serious stuff like hate speech. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Good filters, but actually they're not good. We just walk through life worrying about what people are going to think and worrying if people are going to nod when we speak and actually weird people don't have that. And it enables them to be original and to come up with ideas that are truly different without fear of judgment. And I think that's so fucking powerful.
1: Hmm. so if there's any there's two types of ceo or md listening to this podcast yeah. right now there's some going oh my god this is amazing we've got to do this and there's other ones cowering in the corner saying jesus fucking Christ, there's no way we're doing this <laughs> to explain to them explain to the ones in the corner why that, that they need to really, really do this. What's the benefit to them? What's the business benefit again?
2: They might not need to do it. Some businesses actually, in reality, think about ad tech companies, right? Some businesses function because their people are productive and do not think. Mm. Um. <clears throat> there was amazing, <coughs> going back to the subject of fear, there was a really brilliant research study conducted about fear at work and how fear stops us being innovative, stops us being creative. And it was conducted by an innovations consultancy called And Us. And what they found was that fear makes us 25% less creative, but it also makes us significantly more productive. So I think, you know, within Amazon, for example, a highly productive organization that does run, we know it runs on a Culture of fear. I think it's Jeff Bezos says if you don't don't turn up to work every day and you're not terrified, you're doing your job wrong or something. Um, Some companies will function very, very well by not having personalities in their workforce, by not having weirdos. I would imagine the MDs that are carrying in the corner represent those organizations. (laughs) So screw them. I don't care. So,
1: okay, we'll forget those yeah. guys. Okay, well, there's the, there's the other yeah. cohort in the other corner It's all jumping up <laughs> and down. What what, do they, what should they do? How do they start?
2: Hey, well, I sell a range of different courses.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, you've got a course it's like...
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a course called Good Weird, which is weird. We have blindfolds. We wear masks. We do crazy shit. I play music. That's about summoning your weirdest self for half a day. Um, But we also have a a course called Good Shout, The Good Shout, which is, um, I call it a couch to 5K for your voice. It's a course that through various techniques and everything we do is grounded in sociological theory, psychological experiments. It helps you find your voice. And we've trained God, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And the the thing that's most common amongst them all, they know they want to find their voice, but they don't know how their voice should sound. And they don't know what their opinions are. And they don't know what they stand for because these things have never been celebrated within, within the organizations that they work at. So I think investing in your people and giving them a little bit of space to work out who they are and how, who they are can benefit your business creatively. It's not done enough because companies want to spend all their money on can and not L and D. Better I know. Yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Say a little bit more about that idea of people finding mm-hmm. their voice, you know, what, what does that cause I, we talk a lot about, you know, the voice in terms of tone and whatever but you're talking about something different now right
2: yeah it's um if you say to people the psychology of people's voices is fascinating because we because we judge everybody's voice Your voice is so intrinsically linked to your background and your heritage and your emotions, but also occasionally Mm -hmm. trauma. You know, some people have accidents. They wake up the next day and their accent is completely different. Like our voices are these fragile, powerful things that people don't reflect upon enough. Most of the time, and I realize this in the, you know, I train people in public speaking and writing, and most of the time people open their mouths and they hope for the best. They haven't got a clue what's going to come out. People don't realize how-
1: I've built a career on
2: that. <laughs> I don't believe you. I think you, so in Good yeah. Shout, we talk about mindful speaking, actually being really aware of the words that you use. You are a, you're a perfect example of a mindful speaker.
1: Mm. I'll have to get out on my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> so other than giving people permission and giving people yeah. space and training, if I if I'm hiring, for example, and I think okay, I need more weirdos in my organization. What am I looking for? How do I spot? How do I spot a good weirdo rather than just someone that's a, it's going to be an HR problem?
2: <laughs> how to spot a good weirdo? <laughs> um, that's a really good question. I don't think I. Well, the the fact is. Everybody is weird. Everybody is. We're all some people just hide it better than others. So I think you have to look at your own workforce first. Let them be a bit weirder and then let them attract other people who are also the same kind of weird. I think, you know, I think a lot of organizations really don't use social media to the best to to its fullest potential you should use social media to attract brilliant people give everyone FOMO show how fucking ridiculous your culture and brilliant your culture is and then you'll attract people who you know are actually interesting
1: I get that's an interesting angle on that is the idea of attracting people we don't think of that when we're hiring do we well maybe maybe some people do but it's always that idea oh you're lucky to be given the opportunity to come and work
2: with
1: us that's actually kind of bullshit yeah
2: yeah i you know what's really lovely is i often um i often get emails from people saying well someone emailed me the other day saying can i join your gang what they meant was can i work with you but they even knew that that was a good way to talk to me you know Yeah, we have, yeah, I, I, I like to think, so I do a lot of social media with Good Shout, my company, and I like to think that people absolutely get who we are, our sense of humor, and the fact that everyone that works for me is so ridiculously different. And so it means that anybody's welcome, everybody's welcome.
1: So just to kind of look at how other people <clears throat> do this, is, is there any good examples can you can you think of some people that that we should all be watching and thinking okay we can learn from (laughs) them
2: no is that terrible
1: (laughs) (laughs) no i think that's a i mean that's a point right that's why i'm i'm looking at the media landscape and i'm seeing all these cookie cutter websites and and i'm thinking wow There's there's not much going on. So that's why we asked the question in the first The
2: only people that I see, the the only organizations that I see doing anything interesting are the small independent creative agencies that are probably outside of London. Bristol-based. There's an agency called Diva Mm. who work in the gaming space. There's an agency called Halo. They do loads of creative, um, really creative stuff. Independent agencies outside of London are the interesting ones honestly i you know having worked in london-based creative agencies are my nemesis because they're all posh they're all completely ah it's true it's true
1: (laughs) well i think that opens up a whole other kind of worms is that idea that just because people are different doesn't well, you'd see this as a positive from the way yeah. you're talking, but if you look at this from a more traditional yeah. point of view, because people are different, that's when they get labelled weird yeah. and that is seen as a yeah. bad thing. You know, whether that's class or race or, you know, wh- whatever whatever makes you different makes yeah. you weird.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. I, You know what? I, <clears throat> I always wondered for years and years and years in advertising why I didn't feel like I fit in and then it kind of occurred to me that I'm a woman from a working class background and already that's two really, really, really massive reasons why I wasn't the same as everyone else. You know, 12%, 12% of the industry isn't privately educated. 12%. Mm.
1: Uh, is not yes. privately educated. Yeah.
2: So 12% are working class essentially come from a working class background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't it mad to think that...
1: kind of makes me feel quite special. Yeah,
2: I know, I know. But also, yeah, it's, I think that, also I think, you know, I come from a very working class background and I think there is something really special about it. Um, I think,
1: so just picking at that one a little bit, if you come from that, I don't know, privileged private school background, mm -hmm. there's pressure on you from day one to be... A certain type yeah. of person right <clears throat> if you come from the other side of the tracks in a way there's no pressure on you because no one gives a shit right <laughs> yeah do you think that's part of it and, and not again not what's with race it what's with <clears throat> disability there's the the expectation you know to be to be fair to people that you've just you know that you've described as posh there's pressure on them from day one to succeed
2: I can only I think that's such a brilliant question I can only speak to my own experience and based on my own experience there I had zero expectations placed upon me which means that all expectations placed upon me are mine and I love that means I work for me it means I work really hard and I'm restless I think there's I don't know if you ever saw on the subject of Posh people. <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw. Grace and Perry did a wonderful show about classes. Yes, and he created those tapestries based on the tastes of the different classes. And what he found was that the middle classes are incredibly problematic because they're they're so driven by conformity. They have to yeah. fit in. It's all about status and perception. And what he found was, you know, in the tapestry that he created of the middle classes, it was boring. Because it was just so trendlet, they were all, you know, using Cath Kidston um, cooking utensils, and you know, it, it, the, the 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 obsession with perception is dominant. And I, yeah, I did, I do think that is a challenge. I I think that's another source of homogeneity is how you how obsessed you are with being seen as a thing, as a certain type of person.
1: So what we need is more, more working class people, but also more proper, proper aristocrats. Old, 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 old.
2: They're the weirdest. They are, weren't (laughs) they though? In that Grayson Perry show.
1: Centuries of practice, I suppose. Yes. Amy, this has been absolutely brilliant. I could do this for another half an hour, to be honest, but that's probably not a great (laughs) idea. Um, is there anything that we've not talked about that you'd like to that you'd like to get to, or you'd like to add? in?
2: No, I think we've covered it, and I always need to be careful that I don't. I, ha- I don't think I've said anything too controversial in the last half an hour, so I think I need to quit while I'm ahead. <laughs> if I'm honest,
1: nothing will get you. St- nothing get you into proper trouble. <laughs> Just enough trouble. That's what we're looking for. Yep. Just enough trouble. Amy, thank you so much. This has been amazing.
2: Thank you. I've had a lovely time. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you so much to Amy for taking part in this episode. Thank you so much to Glide as well for sponsoring this episode and the entire series. You can go to gpp.io if you want to know more about Glide and their one-stop shop CMS solution. So thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Amy, Peter, thank you so much for taking part. Thank you. And, <laughs> and for the listeners, please do go to voices.media. You can sign up to our newsletter, which gives you everything you need to know every single day of the week about the media and the media industry so that's all the news all the time (laughs) all the news all the time that is four top stories everything you need to go into the boardroom and feel smart but for (laughs) now thank you so much for listening (laughs) weirdos thank you so much for listening you weirdos and goodbye
1: bye